This is Red Red Yes, Red Pop Pop. There you go. All right. All right. (laughs) A podcast from Red Pop Publications. Welcome to Red Pub Pod. I'm Richard Eller. Joining me today is our acquisitions editor, Patty Thompson, and our editor extraordinaire, Tim Peeler. Good afternoon. And in the podcast room with us today is one of our newest authors, although he's really at this point, although that could change, known more for his uh, public service work. And I'm talking about Austin Allren. Welcome to Red Pub Pod. Thank you very much, Richard. Let's go back and talk about your career prior to being a writer. You have been in public service for many, many years. When did that start? Uh, It started in 19... Well, I first ran in 1978, a long time ago. Wow. But I was first elected in 1980, and I served for 34 years straight till the end of 2014. And I decided that if I was ever going to write that novel I always wanted to write, I better get out of politics and get at it. So, so was I, that what prompted you to get out of politics? Was that and being tired. Okay. I was tired, but I, I did think if I'm ever going to do this, I need to do it now or I'm, I'm never going to do it. So I, so I um, didn't run for the Senate again, and I um, bought a condo at the beach, which I kept for five years. And worked on this. Right? And, but and since then, you've kind of jumped back in because you're now a Kentucky County Commissioner, right? Yes, but at least that's local. At least I don't have to drive back and forth down Interstate 40 uh, to Raleigh and back every week. Uh-huh. So it's I'm, I'm holding public office, but at least it's it's uh, here, here at home. How did you, what, what was the genesis of this idea for the novel? The genesis for the novel was that I had the loss of a loved one, which happened to be a dog, that that was killed, um, and it was really upsetting to me. And I wanted to to write as a type of therapy, like sometimes people do. And so I um, started writing on that, and then I took some short stories that I had written as a kind of like my thesis when I was in at NC State, earning a master's degree in English. And I kind of combined all that and put it toward the novel I'd always wanted to write. Because you had been, uh, you've taught here at CBCC, right? Yes. As among other things, yeah. Two different times. Once, once business law and once English. And you brought that to us in the late summer of 2021, there were a lot of different file types in that because you've been writing a, quite a while, right? I mean, in, well, in terms of pieces. Yeah, something that I, I was reminded of yesterday, which was, I thought was really kind of hilarious. Um, I'm one of these people who doesn't like to waste anything. I don't like to throw away stuff. So I believe in recycling stuff. And I noticed that in the credenza in my law office, I still have a stack of track paper and that's what I wrote the, the, all the original stuff on, on a PC, was track paper. I mean, do you even know what that is? No. <laughs> it, it's no. almost no. like uh, Jack Kerouac writing on the road on this very long spool of paper. You really don't know what track paper is? No. Oh, well, it's, well this, is what I was use, this is what I was using in the 90s when I was working on that master's degree. Uh, and I was writing those short stories. It was it was paper that there was a track on the on the PC like like the computer, 
and it had little teeth, and there were holes in the paper on the side, and it would run it through. Now you remember? I do remember that. <laughs> and you could tear off the <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you could tear the off the side. Yes. The side right. Yeah. 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 So that's how far back. I mean, I, yeah. I started out just using a PC, which I actually like that. To me, that was almost really easier than a computer because computers just have just been a bear for me. I mean, I'm not, I'm real low tech. So, I mean, quite frankly, I really prefer to IBM Selectric. If you want to know the truth, <laughs> <laughs> that was the ultimate, you know, an automatic erase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for our younger listeners, <laughs> before PCs, um, there were uh, word processors. And I think that's what he's referring to. The yeah. track paper was yeah. tied into and the... And even before that, he was talking about a typewriter. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and you'll yeah. have to Google that yeah. to see pictures of what a, a typewriter looks yeah. like. So that goes back, what, 35 years or so? Well, the... I, uh, did I say a PC or did I... What, Anyway, what I was what I was using was a word processor. It was a word processor. That's what that's I what meant I to say. Yeah. yeah, that's what I meant to say. A word processor. Yeah, they weren't computers. They weren't hooked into. That's anything. right. Yeah, because no, I I did my master's yeah. thesis on a word processor, yeah. and it printed go. out on that track paper. So there now I remember it. So that would that would be the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly that's exactly what it was. Wow, that goes back away. So thirty five yeah. or so years. Um, there's a there's part of the part of this novel um, was done in Lee Smith's class. The author Lee Smith yes. at NC State, and I give her a credit for that at the end of the book, along with all of y'all, which is richly deserved, of course. Um, but I mentioned her too because some of the material goes back to my, that class that I had with her. See, you were an attorney, and and in public service. And still get went back to school to get your graduate degree in English. I did that at night in Be, Raleigh. Because you always had a passion for writing? Well, I, I, uh, well, I learned something when I was in the legislature. When I first got there, my very first term, there's alcohol at every single function, okay? And I learned that if you're around free alcohol, you may become an alcoholic or you better maybe not do any of it. And so I made the decision my, my first term, I'm not doing that because there are just an endless number of reasons why I shouldn't. So there were better ways to spend my li- night sometimes than some of the ways that I might have. That's fascinating. And it took six years for me to do it, so it kept me doing something that was a good thing. Like a class at a time or so. Mm, several. Mm-hmm. And what an opportunity to get to study with Lee Smith, like the first lady in Southern fiction. Oh, exactly. And, yeah, and that's, she's, that's amazing. And she's so nice. Oh, she's so nice. Such a gracious lady. I, I really enjoyed that. And she said, um, she said, what I had written, she said, this is the perfect short, short story. And so I entered it in a contest, and it won. And I only ever wrote two things that were published, and they both won something. So Patty's kind of my handler. If Patty can just get this one to win something. (laughs) I'm working on it already, Austin. (laughs) Considering the time that's been put into it, we do here at Red Hot Publications try to submit many of our authors to a variety of different award programs. So we're looking at one specifically for you. Ah. 
But that's quite a track record. No yeah. joke. Well, every time you've published, you've won an award. Yeah, just don't tell anybody it was only twice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious. I know that your writing journey has has a very long track. In writing this book, would you say you always felt exhausted at the end of, a, of an effort, or was this an exhilarating process, a little bit of both? What, how does well, writing make you feel? A, that's another really good question. Uh, I only, I would say I almost never felt exhilarated. Never felt exhilarated. Um, sometimes I felt very um, rewarded and pleased if I thought I'd done a good chapter. But most of the time, for me, it was just really hard work. So I how do you feel now that it's done? Uh, I feel fantastic. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> you should. You should. You don't have to fool with it anymore. Well, and yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what. I will Tim, and Tim, Tim says that because he was my last major editor. Yeah. And he was so gracious and he read every single word of it. And he took every single word of it seriously. Um, very few people would have done that. Thanks again, Tim. Oh, and, it, it and was great. Just Very inspiring. I, I want to just uh, share a little bit of our, our process here at Red Hook Publications. I received manuscripts, so I'm the acquisitions editor. I received Austin's manuscript. Uh, we sent it to our professional readers, and they liked it. And at that point, what we did was we turned it over to Tim. Tim Peeler is one of our part-time senior editors here. And he had an opportunity to work very, very closely with Austin on it. So those two had a very good working relationship to get it to where it needed to be. Which leads me to a question for Mr. Peeler. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to ask him this, but um, when you received the manuscript, what what were some of the things that made you realize there's something here and we can work together on this to, to get it even better? I'm just kind of curious. Well, one thing, uh, I got it as a hard copy and I knew it was bigger than it needed to be because of how much paper there was there, <laughs> which was kind of an unusual situation for a novel. But as soon as I read through it, I could tell the story was there. I mean, there was no doubt that it was inspired, that he had been able to see it all the way through to the end. Uh, and I could even kind of experienced some of the discoveries that he made as he was going along because I could see decisions he had made with the characters and the plot, which was uh, very interesting, and I knew that we were going to be able to do it for sure. I have I have to say this. Um, <clears throat> I can hardly tell you how much that meant to me when I came here and Tim took it seriously like that. I thought, oh, wow. Uh, an intellectual in a college setting is actually treating me seriously. I was so flattered. And, of course, what you did and, and Richard and Robert. But the point was, in a, an academic setting, to be treated like that just, uh, I just can't tell you what that meant to me. And, and I knew, and it was a larger novel, but I'm a reader. Um, you know, not a big deal to me whether it's 200 pages or 1,000. My commitment was I knew I didn't want to have to read it too many times because it was big. So I mentally made a note that I will read this at the very end when we have the last version just to, you know, do our final proof. And initially, I just remember feeling like I was back in school as I got to read this darn book. Um, about a quarter in, 
I saw so many different devices and things that you were doing, and then I couldn't put it down. My husband's yelling at me, what are you doing? I'm reading this book. Um, I got totally involved in, in the book and committed to reading it and enjoying it, and I still think about it, Austin. And, and, and Thank you. I mean, it's there's a lot to unpack in it. You do a lot of, of amazing things, callbacks from the beginning to the end. And there is the use of, and I have to remind myself how to pronounce this properly. You guys help me. Dus ech machina, a Latin phrase for when, you know, something happens, you know, a, a divine intervention solves an issue. And typically, it's never used well. But in your book, it surprised me, and I was happy. So I don't want to give any spoilers to anybody because people have to read the book. But at the same time, just to commend you, that's so many different things you did. You know, it's a first-person book. And there's a point where you stop and you go into somebody else's voice. I love that. So you did a lot of different things, but you had me all the way to the end. Oh. Well, that's, that means everything. Um, so uh, my, my very first editor... I was telling Richard about this before we started, uh, who is a Ph.D. and has done a lot of this stuff, said it was a, said it's a fascinating tale somewhere between reality and magic, which I thought that was interesting. Yeah. To me, it isn't magic. Yeah. Um, but it's not maybe perhaps not quite totally re- realistic either. I don't know about that. But I just thought that was interesting that she said that. Yeah. When you first started, did you know where the book was going or did that develop over time? By the time I had er- taken my collection of short stories and arranged them in order, I knew where it was going really generally, but a lot of the um, twists and turns of the plot, and I did not know. And I had so many different themes, competing themes, I didn't have one theme, which was a real issue, which is really strange. I mean, you should always start out, I think, with a theme, knowing what your theme is. Um, And that had to be narrowed down. And I didn't have a beginning, and I didn't have an ending. So I was writing all this stuff kind of in the middle and putting them all together and making them go. Um, But I guess the answer to your question is not really. I guess that allows for surprises. Well, I'll tell you something. I like that question because John Grisham said uh, he only ever wrote one book where it wasn't totally plotted out in his mind in advance, and it was the dumbest thing he ever did, and he had to throw away 150 pages. And Margaret Mitchell supposedly spent five years thinking, of, just thinking about and researching Gone with the Wind before she ever sat down at the typewriter and typed one word. And I didn't do any of that. I just sat down and started writing about my dog. And that's in the middle of the book. And then I, then I had all this other stuff. So <laughs> um, I was at a conference, Blue Ridge Conference, uh, up in the mountains. Blue Ridge Christian Conference, I think it is. Anyway, um, an agent looked at it and was flipping through the through, I thought I had a complete copy, and I, was just, I just knew this agent was going to pluck it up and then... That'd be it. First one I'd ever talked to in my life. She flipped through the first chapter, went, and then flipped through the next seven. And then finally on chapter eight, she said, okay, now it grabs me. Get rid of the first seven chapters. Well, by the time I'd gotten rid of all this stuff I'd written, I think I dropped 15 chapters out of it. So, wow. Yeah. So it would have been a really long book, but... 
what I like about it right now is <clears throat> people tell me that they get hooked very quickly. Somebody just texted me that yesterday, and some people, some somebody said I got hooked in the first two pages. He said I love the way I'm hooked at the beginning, and it flows and doesn't stop. Um, and I love getting that type of feedback. So you're you're going to meet the public tomorrow night. Yes, and I'm scared. And, <laughs> I, and we talked about this a little I'm bit. I'm even scarier than now. <laughs> yeah, we talked about the question I'm going to ask you a little okay. bit when we were editing over here one day. Uh, but what I wanted to ask you was, how are you going to react uh, as a person who's been a public figure and very busy one at that, uh, and because of the fact that you're a public figure, you're more likely to get people to come up to you and ask you what parts of this thing are autobiographical? Yeah, I remember you asked me that before. And that's a fantastic. And they will. Yeah, and that's a fantastic question, and it's, it was also really good for you to plant that seed in my mind, so I would think about it. Interestingly enough, that's really hard to answer because uh, there's a lot of truth in it from the standpoint of maybe spiritually or the way I feel about things, because it was a search for truth and a search for answers, and and like it says, really in search of God and all all of that. Um, and what I really feel about the afterlife and all that, that's really true. But the, but the factual stuff is made up. It, I mean, I guess 90% of it, maybe 95. I mean, I did never go to that island. You did go to Duke, though, right? <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. That little that little point, which could have been something else, was actually true. Yes, but it uh, did, it did make me ask when when I got to certain parts of the book, and again, trying not to give any spoilers, but I'm blessed to work with Professor Eller because I had questions on history. I didn't realize that there was a history on the Outer Banks of what happened during World War II. Mm. So, again, there's a historical aspect of this book that is true, although, you know, you, you dramatize it, obviously. So I guess a question to you is, for example, when you talk about the history of what happened on the Outer Banks, banks during World War II, did you do research on that? Oh, yeah. Now, that stuff's true, mm-hmm. okay, because that's not personal. Right. That's true, and I, I double majored at Duke. In English and history. Okay. Okay, and I, I love history. That's why I like Richard's stuff. Um, I love history. Local, American, European, the whole thing. Um, so all of that just fascinates me. And, yes, that all of that stuff is true. I don't think anything I have in there that's historical isn't true. Okay. Yeah, so, again, that's when I tell people there's a lot to unpack in here, you, you are going to learn some history, um, and and it makes sense in the story. So you even go back as far as like the 18, early 1900s, if, if not further. So there's generations of families that get mentioned in the book that kind of come back into play. So again, kudos to you for just kind of melding so many different things together and having a fun, a fun ending. But you did mention something about your faith. And so I have a question geared towards that. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit with us about your spiritual nature? Uh, have you always searched for meaning, or was this book a way to share your connection with God and the divine? I guess the answer is kind of both. Um, I think we are, we're all on a faith journey. I think we all are. It probably goes on our whole lives. Um, 
It wasn't. It's not true in that this may in it in that this protagonist um, finds the answer late in life. I mean, I did that a lot earlier. I did that in law school, but it is true in the sense of it came out of a failure um, at a time in my life. And I mean, I did a lot of praying when I wrote this. I mean, that's basically what got me through it. So in the very beginning, um, I dedicated it to my father and my mother and to God, uh, or I dedicated it to God, I guess, and then in memory of my mother and father and, the, and my dog. Another thing I was going to mention, um, I just finished reading Cormac McCarthy's new book, uh, and it's his New Orleans book. But besides that, that book is kind of like a journey through the places that he lived and that he loved. And he goes, they're, they're like touchstones in the novel. And I felt like that's what you were doing in this novel. You wrote about each place that you wrote about, you could tell that you had been there and really knew it. And I'm maybe not asking a question, but okay. it seems like a very important uh, part of your book is that you really knew the landscape that you were writing about. I really felt like that on the Bogue Banks part. I but, could tell you had lived there. Yeah. Um, I like that question um, a whole lot because that gets back to your original question of what's true and what isn't. I mean, I particularly for somebody who's never written a novel before and is just trying to struggle through writing one, you ought to, I think you should try to write about something you're familiar with. So uh, I think all fiction writers draw on personal experiences, even if it's fiction. They might fictionalize it, which I did, but you draw on personal experiences. Um, and, and yes, I've spent a lot of time out there on the Outer Banks. Even going to that island was actually based on a trip that I took with kids, with some other kids during spring break when I was in, in college, just like they did. And we went to Shackleford Banks, and it's really similar to that. And then I did a lot of things like that. I mean, there wasn't the house and the other stuff. Um, but even um, things like those four plaques at the end, I don't know if you remember them or not, those four plaques oh, at yeah. the end. But one time I was under the cross space of my house, and it was really gross. I mean, it's like a foot and a half, and it is just disgusting under there. And I discovered four plaques, and they were famous. Some of them were from Shakespeare. One was from Shakespeare, one was from Franklin, one was from Newton. And I can't write the second thing of what they were, but I pulled them out and cleaned them up and hung them on the wall. That, is, that made me think of that. So, I mean, you draw things out in your life. And, and, one time, and sometime uh, in, when I was, got my first job after coming back uh, from law school, my first job is in an attorney's office. Some lady did, um, she did, I guess it's called a horoscope, drew me a horoscope. And it was so amazingly accurate, and I had never met her, that that just kind of made me go, mm. whoa, you know. This is bizarre because I don't know how she did this, but I've never met this lady. And she, but one thing that was really bizarre in it, or ridic no, ridiculous, not bizarre, was that she said I would be a great mystery writer. And I thought, well, that's a joke. I couldn't write a mystery if I had to. I can't do anything like that. Well, I guess I have. Yeah. So you see what I mean? It's Fulfillment. Just, yeah. It's just fun. I think it's fun to pull stuff like that 
into a novel, not because it's, quote, true, but because I guess it's fun or interesting or something. Now, was that what drove you to say, I got to take these short stories and link them together and make a novel out of it, as opposed to publishing just short stories? Not just short stories, but oh. in a different, a different way, publishing this in a different way. The other reason that I wrote a novel is because that's what I'd always wanted to do. It was just a goal. It was simply a goal. Um, but I don't think my mind works very well to write novels, and I had all these short stories. And somebody had read those and said, hmm, that, that kind of sounds like it's kind of like about the same person. He just gets older. And so I just arranged them in an order and then just started reworking them. That's amazing. I have so much admiration for you for the ability to do it and to do it creatively and so well. So, And not to mention the perseverance yeah. over time. Yeah. To, to and to over the last it. year plus, the perseverance. <laughs> <laughs> a, a, re, a reference to being here. And now here I am in the torture chamber. <laughs> yeah, but, but, <laughs> People that, don't know what we went through. <laughs> was that last year and a half the toughest part of it or was it, the, was it earlier? Uh, no, it wasn't the toughest part. Tim was amazing, and and um, Patty's been amazing. This has been amazing, though. But the the hardest part, I think, was just sticking with something. Somebody has said that the greatest enemy of creativity is self-doubt. Hmm. Well, I mean, I certainly have an abundance of that. So, um, And then my, then my uh, first editor, and I mentioned this when I gave her the credit, uh, Linda Hobson said to me early on she said to write a novel you have to have faith so that I never forgot that and I just stuck with it I've also heard it said that the main reason people will fail at writing a novel is they'll give up they'll just give up so you can't do that well in some ways your political career and your writing career kind of parallel each other because I mean you were, you were long serving in the North Carolina legislature uh, many terms, and so you you stuck with that, and stuck with the writing as well. Tenacious, yeah, <laughs> tenacious. Uh, I'll ask you one more question. What advice would you give to other busy professionals who are maybe thinking about getting into some form of literary or arts world with their time? What advice would you give them? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's tough. I. You know, I, I've thought about that so many times because over the years, people, so many people have come to me and they said, I want to get into politics. How can I get into politics and how can I be elected? And by the time you usually you tell them the truth, they think, oh, I can't do that. <laughs> um, it's like any field. It's so hard to get into things. You almost have to start really young to do it. I found... Um, to publish is really difficult. Once you once you have written the novel, then it's almost as much of a challenge to try to get it published. Um, you, nowadays, you're supposed to get an agent, and that's almost an impossible task just to get an agent. And then if you get an agent, that doesn't mean they're going to do you a very good job. And then if they actually it actually gets published, it doesn't mean anybody's going to read it. It's really a hard thing to break. The gatekeepers it. are many. Yes, yeah. it's, it's they like are. A, it's like an obstacle course. I mean, so you know, I mean, if you were, if you were a genius and you were Thomas Wolfe or something, you maybe you could sit down and write all this stuff and send it to some guy at a, the publishing house, and he would edit it all and 
magically you you know just become famous overnight or whatever but it doesn't happen much like that um, so I, I would like to get back to that in terms of Patty so really I, I had written so many letters to agents asking and I thought you know I don't have time to do this I'm on the county commission I'm an attorney I'm a grandfather I've got a life I can't keep sitting down writing these personalized letters to these people just so they can ignore me or say no or whatever this is too much so when I was at downtown Hickory at Oktoberfest and there was Patty standing there at the table selling books and I walked up to her and asked her if she'd be interested in my manuscript and she said yes it was like I mean I just knew that was just God intervening again I mean I just and I've always I believe that it's always God always steps in for you at the right time and I'll never forget, you said something like, boy, you seem so energetic and enthusiastic. And I said to you, I feign enthusiasm well. <laughs> because one learns to do that in publishing. <laughs> That's but, funny. But, yeah. we, but we were very grateful that it ended up being the book that it was that it ended up being. So we were blessed. And that's another thing just to tribute to here at Red Hawk Publications and Dr. Henshaw giving us the opportunity to do things that other publishers might not take a chance on. So, And, Richard, you might even want to expand a little bit on what we are here doing, which helps us help. Can, I, can I expand first? Please, please. First, that brings up a point that, that really impresses me is um, there is a lot of faith in this story. There's a lot of religion in it. I mean, some people will inevitably think too much, and they would probably turn, be turned off by it. Um, but what impresses me is that even though this is a college, even though it's tax-funded and all that, you don't just look at that and go, nope, we don't touch that. I mean, I think that's a horrible way to treat. Um, I mean, if you're going to be, if you're going to have um, academic excellence or if you're going to be intellectually honest, censoring certain types of thought is outrageous. And there's a lot of that nowadays, a lot. And so, I mean, I really appreciate the fact that you didn't do that because you could have. Well, it's part of the college's mission to serve the community. And I think we have to do that without reservation because much because you do reflect uh, a religious view of the community in that there's this is a very faith-oriented community. We've published the uh, old St. Paul's book about the origins of what is probably the mother church of Catawba County. So I think you have to I have you have to look at the wide embrace of what the lived lives of our constituents, our stakeholders, are and serve what they are writing about. And so if you're writing about it, and obviously people are reading it because we've had good sales on it and probably going to have more after your two debuts, that reflects what the community is all about, and that's what we're here to do. And I'll also add is, and I've mentioned this to you in the past, you know, I'm still working on my search and path with God. So read that to mean that, you know, I might not be the world's best Christian, but I'm working on it. Reading your book? Has has given me pause for thought, and so it's been transformative. And for that, I thank you. Wow, there's power in it. So, if you're a listener out there, please, this is a book that's going to engage a lot of your senses and, and make you very thoughtful. So, I'll so not on that. evangelical, but assistive. Yeah, yeah, in that way. Yeah. Well, I love I love to get that feedback. 
That's a huge compliment. A huge compliment. Now, how are you going to feel once people know you as an author, a novelist, as opposed to a county commissioner? <laughs> well, at my age, <laughs> it's kind of like whatever. <laughs> you know, if I if I were young, you'd be trying to maybe make it go one way or another. But you know, <laughs> well, I, I, once you once you've hit seventy, it's kind of like you know whatever here. Whatever works. <laughs> yeah, right. I've told Austin, welcome to the artist community. You are now an art, yes. artist, a literary artist, and an author, and that's going to bridge and break you into a lot new venues and meeting more people than you would have ever thought. Um, especially, I, hope so. I believe it will. Um, and I guess now's as good as time as any to just mention when you hear this podcast. Yeah, probably you will have missed the first book launch. That's happening tomorrow, January 26th at Tasteful Beans tomorrow evening. But since you're hearing this probably a few weeks later, um, please come to our second book launch, which will be a discussion with the author. That will be at the Patrick Beaver Library, February 23rd. That's also a Thursday from 6 p.m. to about 7 p.m. So we hope people will come out to that February 23rd book launch at Patrick Beaver Library in downtown Hickory, um, and there'll be more to come. We're also ha- hoping to get you to the Catawba County Library in Newton sometime in March. So keep a look on our website. Keep uh, keep in touch with what we put up on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Uh, we do it all. Uh, and if Robert was here, this would be the wonderful time he'd boom in with his voice and say, please take a look at our website at uh, redhogpublications.com. That's where you can buy the book. Um, in addition, our Facebook page always mentions all of our events as well as our Instagram and, and t- uh, Twitter. So we do try to get the word out, and we look forward to meeting anybody who comes to any of the book launches for Austin. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity to celebrate many years of work, and congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you I so think we, much. Great job. We've been talking so much about you as an author. I don't think we've mentioned the title of the book so far. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We're we're so into it. Uh, By the way, the name of the book, The Legend of the Isle of Cats, a novel by Austin Allran. So, yeah, Legend of the Isle of Cats, you can find that on our website, redhawkpublications.com, and please pick up your copy. And if you come to any of our events, of course, Austin will be there, and he'd be pleased to sign it for you as well. And now you can add to your many your list of many titles, Renaissance Man. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations. Oh, okay. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We've been talking to Austin Allran today, man of many talents, who has now joined the stable of writers with Red Hawk Publications. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And since this is your first podcast, um, and one of the things we ask our guests to do is, can you say the title of it three times fast? Red Pub Pod. Red Pub Pod? Yes. We did it. Pub Pod? Yes. Red Pub Pod? There you go. All right. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Austin. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining us on another edition of Yes. Red Pub Pod. There you go. All right. All right. <laughs> Red Pub.